You've tuned in to the Message to Kings podcast, where we tell the complete history. Welcome back to the Message to Kings podcast. Here's my friend, Jason Ross. Jacob, part two. Our biblical history resumes in Padan, Aram. The name possibly means field or road of Aram. Padan Aram was near Haran, if it wasn't an alternate name for Haran. Aram was the homeland of the Arameans, or as they're called in Greek, the Syrians. The Arameans descended from Aram, the son of Shem. And Shem, as you've heard in earlier podcasts, was one of three sons of Noah. This was the region northeast of modern-day Israel in what is called Syria today, east of the northeastern bank of the Mediterranean Sea and close to the Euphrates River. It's the birthplace of the Aramaic language, which would become the dominant language of the Near East. Jesus was speaking Aramaic when he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And several portions of the Bible were originally written in Aramaic. When my wife and I toured Israel two years ago, we met an Aramean believer who quoted the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic. It was majestic and robust, like a cup of rich black java. It's fascinating to discover modern connections to these ancient biblical times, whether it's names of geographical locations, races of people, languages, or archaeological relics. There are many artifacts that speak to the accuracy and reliability of the accounts of the biblical history. Pondering these links to the past brings us a little closer to God's reality in which a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. In other words, it wasn't very long ago after all that Jacob lived the life we read about and relate to. So we return to approximately 1789 B.C., when Jacob, the patriarch of Israel, had worked seven years for his uncle Laban in Padan Aram and had received Leah by trickery, and then Rachel, a week after her marriage ceremony had started. Jacob continued to serve Laban for seven more years, which would provide flocks of sheep and goats for his own household which he shepherded for about six additional years. So those 20 years in Padan Aram were pretty bitter for Jacob and his family. Having received his father's stolen blessing and then his willing blessing, he had come to this place in exile trying to escape his brother Esau's wrath after Jacob had deceived his way into Esau's blessing. Now, he himself had been deceived by another crooked businessman. On the way to this place, God had appeared to Jacob in a dream and assured Jacob that he would be with him and that he would bless him and bring him safely back to his homeland. Jacob must have been tempted to doubt those promises because of the circumstances he was experiencing. Here's a biblical principle. Presumably, all believers are tempted at some point to look at their current circumstances and doubt whether God actually had spoken to them, and or doubt whether God will do what He said. 
We can rest assured, though, that all the promises of God are yes and amen, and as they proved to be for Jacob and his descendants. Whether it was simply because he was deceived into marrying Leah, or due to any of her own characteristics, Jacob despised her. But the Lord didn't despise her. Seeing that she was unloved, God opened her womb, and she bore sons, while Rachel initially was barren. Leah first gave birth to Reuben, which meant hated. She thought because she had given him a son that Jacob would now love her, but he did not. Later, she gave birth to three more sons, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. The name Simeon means heard, because the Lord had heard she was unloved. The name Levi means attached, because she hoped the third son would prove to be the charm, so to speak that Jacob would become attached to her. Finally, Levi means praise, because she was praising the Lord for blessing her with a son again. The order of the names of Leah's sons can parallel a righteous life. When we are hated by man, but heard by God, and attached to God's intended relationships, it really can result in praise toward the Lord. Of course, Levi and Judah would be the chosen fathers of the priestly and the kingly lineages. Now for the matriarch, the lady of the household, it was an honor to have given birth to children and a shame to have been barren. Bringing offspring to her husband and having a large family was so tied to a married woman's identity that it was a serious issue for her if she bore no children. Some of the most desperate and fervent prayers in the Bible stem from the condition of barrenness. Sometimes women were wrongly held responsible for in infertility, since the view of childbearing was, in the Jewish culture of this time, that the husband planted a seed in the womb of his wife and she provided fertile ground for his presumably fertile seed and brought forth the fruit. However, in the case of Rachel and Leah, it is clear that Rachel was initially infertile and Leah fertile. And that fact was a source of pride and hope on the part of Leah and the source of envy and despair on the part of Rachel, her sister. There was contention in this family, and when strife is present in a family, life has much less joy. There is more than one reason that God had said, Quote, so shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, not wives, plural. At the beginning of Genesis chapter 30, we see an angry exchange between Rachel and Jacob. Rachel looked at Jacob and said, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob got frustrated at her and replied, Am I in the place of God who is withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then Rachel gave her handmaid Bilhah, to Jacob and told him to be with her so Bilhah could bear a child in Rachel's name. So the Bible says that Jacob took Bilhah as his wife, which is good to note sexual relations is equivalent to marriage. God means for that intimacy to be experienced in the marriage relationship only. And Bilhah gave birth to Dan, meaning judge, since God had judged Rachel's case and given her a son. Bilhah conceived again and gave birth to Naphtali, whose name meant wrestlings, because Rachel said that she and her sister had been wrestling and she had prevailed. When Leah realized she had stopped bearing, she gave Zilpah, 
her handmaid to Jacob, and Zilpah conceived as well. She gave birth to Gad, followed by Asher. Then the Bible says that God listened to Leah, and she conceived two more times, and Issachar and Zebulun were the results. She also bore a daughter named Dinah. Finally, after so many years of trying, Jacob's wife Rachel conceived. Rachel said, God has taken away my reproach, and named the child Joseph, which means he will add. It is interesting that Jacob's children were all named by his wives. Once Joseph was born, Jacob told Laban, his uncle, to send him away with his wives and children. He wanted to return to his homeland. But Laban, having learned from experience that the Lord had blessed him because of Jacob, pleaded with Jacob to stay. He said, Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said he would stay and work for Laban if Laban would allow Jacob to pick out the speckled and spotted sheep and goats from Laban's flocks and take them for his own. And Laban agreed. So Jacob became a wise breeder and shepherd and his flocks became stronger than Laban's with support from his older sons. When God prospered Jacob and his flocks became strong, and when Laban's sons said that Jacob had acquired all his wealth from their father, and Laban started looking at Jacob differently, it was then that God spoke to Jacob and told him to return to the land of his fathers and family, and he added, I will be with you. Here's a biblical principle. This is a very common affirmation that the Lord gives His people. I will be with you. He said that very thing to believer after believer. What is better than to remind each other and to recall in our own lives that the very presence of Jehovah God is with us? Which doesn't mean that God is simply hanging around watching what's taking place in a passive sense. No, it's an active presence of God. That in the same way that God was for Jacob, giving him favor, giving him wisdom, speaking to him to offer direction, protecting him, prospering him, and making him a blessing to others, in that way, God is with you and me. And that is the ultimate blessing for the person of faith. Confidence that God is with us and in that active sense. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us and that you are in us in Christ. So God had said to Jacob to leave and promised to be with him. Jacob called Leah and Rachel together and told them the plan and explained that the angel of God had spoken to him in a dream. He identified himself as the God of Bethel, where Jacob had made a vow to the Lord. The Lord remembers the things we promised to him, whether our marriage vows, our confession of him as Lord, etc. Commitments to the Lord are to be kept. So Leah and Rachel agreed to go with Jacob, and Jacob left without telling Laban. When Laban found out after three days that Jacob had left, taking his daughters and grandchildren and goods, he pursued hard after Jacob for about a week and caught up to him. Now Laban had been warned in a dream to say neither good nor bad to Jacob, so he didn't harm him or any, anyone in Jacob's troop. The result was a covenant between Jacob and Laban. Along his way, Jacob encountered a supernatural manifestation. It was a band of the angels of God that were camped. 
It's interesting to wonder, were these angels going ahead of Jacob to make the way? Were they on other business? It would seem since God allowed them to be seen by Jacob that he was letting Jacob know that there were supernatural forces at work in Jacob's favor. Here's another biblical principle. God is always at work, whether we see it or not. Now shortly thereafter, Jacob sent messengers ahead to give a message to Esau, Jacob's brother, to let him know that Jacob was coming. Jacob humbled himself before Esau and called him Lord. The messengers returned to say that Esau was on his way to meet Jacob, and he had 400 men with him. Jacob became very fearful. He thought Esau may attack he and his family. So he assembled a gift for Esau. He collected hundreds of livestock animals and sent servants to present them in droves. The goats, the ewes, the camels, the cows, the donkeys. And he told the servants who were driving the droves, tell Esau that these were a present to Esau and that his servant Jacob was behind. Jacob thought the present would appease Esau. The night after Jacob had sent the present ahead of him, a most remarkable encounter with God took place. Jacob, his two wives, two female servants, and eleven sons crossed over the ford of the Jabbok River near Canaan. Before Jacob had crossed over, he sent his family over the brook and was left alone. And the Bible says that a man, with a capital M, wrestled with him until the break of day. Now, I want to pause here to say, carve out time for you and God to be alone. Good things happen when you prioritize your time with Him. For Jacob, what ensued was a physical wrestling match, one that lasted all night. I broke my collarbone in a wrestling match in high school, and that match lasted less than five minutes, and it was really tiring. Wrestling is a highly fatiguing business. You're pushing, pulling, bending, rolling around, trying to get an advantage with every slight move of a muscle in order to pin your opponent. When this supernatural wrestling rival saw that Jacob was seriously committed and was persevering, he struck Jacob in the socket of the hip and displaced the socket of his hip. But Jacob held on. As a wily man, Jacob knew when somebody else was in a better position than he was. He knew when that person had an advantage, and he was relentless about getting their blessing before moving on in life. So when the man he was wrestling said, Let me go, because the day breaks, Jacob retorted, I won't let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked his name, and he replied, Jacob. The man stated, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men, and have prevailed. The man, the Lord, probably the pre-incarnate Christ, was asking, How are you known? What's your identity? The Lord asked Jacob his name not to find out what it was, but because Jacob needed to confess his weakness, that he was a deceiver before being blessed. In the same way that God had called to Adam in the garden, asking, Where are you? A God wanted a confession, not information from Jacob. Is there a time when God asks a question of us that he's looking for information? 
Now the name Israel, which means prince with God, was given to a man, a man who wrestled with God and received his blessing, and it would become the name of a great nation. Then Jacob asked the man's name, but the man replied, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed Jacob. In chapter 33 of Genesis, we see the meeting between Esau and Jacob. Jacob, or Israel, arranged the family in order that he would prefer them to die in the case of an attack. Handmaids with their sons, Leah and her sons, and Rachel with hers. Honorably, though, he went ahead of them all and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he and his brother came close. Esau ran to meet him and embraced him. He kissed him, and they wept at their reunion. Esau tried to return the gift of the livestock, but Israel insisted, and so Esau kept them. Sometime following that meeting, Jacob heard from God again. The Lord told him to go to Bethel and live there. He also told him to erect an altar there to God, who had appeared to Jacob when he was on the run from Esau. Jacob wisely told his household to put away their foreign gods, to purify themselves, and change their clothes. Then they went to Bethel in obedience to the Lord. Along the way, the cities around were afraid to do anything to Israel and his household. Here's a biblical principle. We all need to put away the idols. They may not be statues or ornaments of false deities, but the idols of materialism or pride or of other relationships that hinder ours with God, any hindrance to our private and public lives of worship, we should put away those things. So Jacob built the altar at Bethel and named that place. Later, while traveling, Rachel died in childbirth. She gave birth to Benjamin before dying. So there were twelve sons of Israel. Then, after thinking he was near death well over twenty years earlier, Jacob's father Isaac died. He was a hundred and eighty years old, the Bible tells us. He had lived a full life, and Jacob and Esau buried him together. Jacob had learned to walk with the Lord. What's more, Israel had learned his identity rested in what the Lord had done and what the Lord had said to him and about him. A message to kings is, God fulfills his promises, and he will bless those who hold on tightly to him regardless of the circumstances and pain that they may be going through. The Lord is also merciful and patient toward us in our shortcomings. We can rely fully upon the Lord, listening and obeying him as he is faithful to speak to us at critical points in our walks of life. Tune in next week to the Message to Kings podcast.